to me, matriarchy is like it's somebody who's able to use their voice, somebody who is connected to the land, and somebody who's doing the work. And welcome back to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Shayla Olette Stonechild, and I'm super excited to have Stephanie Pelcher here with me today. She is well known across Canada as the matriarch who raised one of Canada's leading Indigenous water activists. Stephanie has been guiding her 18-year-old daughter, Autumn Pelcher, through water and Indigenous rights advocacy since she was eight years old. For those of you who don't know who Autumn is, I would suggest Googling her, but she's also known as the Chief Water Commissioner for the Anishinaabek Nation, and she's an Anishinaabe Indigenous rights advocate, and I've been inspired by her journey and her work for years now. Stephanie is her mom who raised her, and she's from Wekwemekong First Nation on Manitoulin Island, and she raised all three of her daughters, Naomi, Autumn, and Sierra, as a single mom with Indigenous values that she learned through her own matriarchs at her core. We discuss matriarchy, we discuss motherhood, and we discuss the future of the water and how you can begin to protect it. So without further ado, Stephanie. Well, I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. I was reading a bit about you. And honestly, there's a lot of similarities uh, between my life and my mother and how you've raised Autumn. Um, My mom is also a single parent raising three kids. I have a lot to learn from you, but also just from motherhood and matriarchy and the role Indigenous women play within their children's lives and within like where Autumn is now today and where I am today. It's because of our mom. Moms and it's because of single moms. You got some resilience, <laughs> some strength. And so I'm super excited to have you on the show. If you just want to introduce yourself, where you come from. My English name is Stephanie Pelche. I come from Wakwamakong Unceded Indian Reserve, located on Manitoulin Island on Lake Huron. And I am a single parent. I raised three daughters and I'm a Anishinaabe Kwe. <laughs> the world knows so much about Autumn, but I think like we have to know a little bit more about Stephanie too and like how how you are able to raise such three beautiful, strong women. And now that they're cultivating like global awareness on rights to do with the land and the water, like where did your, where did your inspiration come from? How did you get to channel this to your daughters? Well, I was raised in a traditional way. Um, My dad, he's very, like, he's a culture and language. He's like a Jedi. He's like (laughs) a Jedi of language and culture. And he raised me from a young age, like we were out in the bush, picking medicines, visiting elders, you know, attending ceremony, going to powwows. And he did all this. And he was also a school teacher. And, you know, I didn't really realize all the things that we were doing until I became a mom and grew up. But I also spent a lot of time with my grandparents on my mom's side. And they're very um, skilled people. They didn't have an education. They lived off the land. They hunted, they trapped, they gardened. And my grandmother used to make birch bark baskets, sweet grass baskets and placemats and quill baskets. 
And they used to make the little teepees, the little canoes and the little papooses. So I grew up around my grandparents creating. My mom was a well-known and very excellent seamstress. And a lot of the things that pushed me where I'm at was because of her strong words and teachings. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I'm I'm curious to know, like, what are those strong teachings or like, what are some of the strong words that she shared with you while growing up? Well, when I was a little girl, because my parents are residential school survivors, I'm an Indian day school survivor. And she used to always tell me as a little girl, never leave this house with dirty clothes, wrinkled or looking messy or messy hair and wash your face. And she'd always make sure I looked nice when I walked out the door. I never really understood that. But she said, because you're brown and you have long black hair, people are going to treat you differently and they're going to look at you differently. Now I understand what she meant because I started doing that to my kids because we live in a world where there's so much... uh, systemic racism and discrimination. And then you have an Indigenous woman who's a single parent. And then that's a whole stereotype. And so she always told me sometimes surviving and being strong is all we have. And you just got to keep doing and going. You don't have time to feel you just got to keep going. And I think those words were like the strongest words she could have said to me. Then um, when I became a mother, And I almost thought this was kind of not nice, but she said to me, I wasn't there when you created this child. You didn't ask my permission. You made this decision yourself. And this decision you made is your responsibility. If you're going to drink, party, go out with your friends or say, I'm tired, I need a break, don't come to me. She says, I'll only help you if you go to school And if you live a good life and stay away from alcohol and drugs and and uh, walk in a good way and you pursue those things, I'll help you. But I'm not going to help you if you're going to do those things. And I think right there when she said that, I was thinking, wow, that was my my own mom who said that. And I didn't want to disappoint her. The other thing I hear is my dad would say, think like your ancestors. So I often, when I find myself getting in a slump or I'm not having a good day, what would my grandma do? That's so powerful. I think maybe sometimes in modern day society, we forget what our ancestors went through um, and what they lost and what they sacrificed for us to really be in a place now where we have a lot of abundance and a lot more opportunity than they once did in different ways. But I often think of too, of how connected they were to the land and to the water and how maybe in modern day society, we're disconnected in different ways. And so Also, when it comes to the land, what did she teach you about being in good relations to the water and to the land and to the environment around you? Well, when I was a little girl, like in the spring, when the ice starts to crack, I never understood this, but was my grandmother, she'd always get me to go get water out of that crack in the lake. And so I would go get this pail of water and then she would, you know, do a ceremony. I didn't know it was called a full moon ceremony. We just did a ceremony when the moon was full it always involved water. I never really understood it until later when I when I was um, maybe in my early 20s, thinking ahead, what kind of grandma do I want to be? Because I love my grandma and I could, I wish she was still here so I could do all those things, land-based things and, you know, keep learning from her, but she's not. So now that she's not here and my own mom passed away two years ago, 
I was like, whoa, it's just me now. And I have these three daughters. What am I going to do? When I think about those things and those times and, you know, I didn't realize we were picking medicines and I didn't know all those things. It was, it all came together when I started, you know, trying to preserve our teachings, preserve our language. And I got to leave something behind for my, my grandkids. Thinking about our people in general and all across the country in Turtle Island, like who is going to keep those teachings alive and share them? And I hope my grandkids are able to hear these teachings when they're older because, you know, everything we do today, it's for them. Yeah, I think it's beautiful that it's kind of like weaving past, present, future. Like you are embodying like what your mother taught you and what your great, great grandmother taught you. And it's traveling through and it's traveling through your daughters. And I know matriarchy is a concept woven within a lot of our cultures is the women and they're connect- we're connected to the water. And so I'm curious, like in your own words, how would you define the word matriarchy? To me, matriarchy is like somebody who's a leader or the head in the family, because the women are the backbones in our communities. It's somebody who's able to use their voice, somebody who is connected to the land, someone who's connected to the teachings, and somebody who's doing the work, really getting in there and going to get the teachings, learning from the elders, attending the ceremony, you know, scraping the hide, picking the medicine. It's it that's to me, is matriarchy because you're the one who's the role model you're the one who's the leader and what my dad always said to me was you're the mirror and your kids are the reflection i'm always mindful of that and like even when i'm having a bad day i need to be mindful because i'm role modeling they're learning from me we learn everything from our parents we see them we hear them we feel them And just because we're not connected to our moms anymore, because they literally cut the cord, they're a very big part of us. Do you think in order to be like a matriarch, do you think that you have to be a mother? Or do you think like women who are who are not mothers could also take on the embodiment of what you're saying a matriarch is? Well, I think sometimes there's women that can't, they just can't physically have kids. And to me, I think if somebody is working in the community, I think if somebody is compassionate about what they're doing, if they have connection with the land and they're using their voice for the positive, you know, for the protection of the land, for the water, I feel that they have a role in matriarchy. But I do know, you know, when we think of matriarchy, it's like the lineage is passed down. I actually, this is the perfect day. I just did a water teaching before I came here. I did a water ceremony. When we think about that water teaching and we think about being in our mother's womb at about eight to 10 weeks, when you're in your mother's womb, if you're a female, you're carrying your eggs already. So the mother is already carrying her future. And so I think about that when they say keep the waters calm because babies live in the water. And to me, our grandmothers are still a very much part of us. Their waters and their blood flows right through us. Mm. Did your world completely shift when you had your first kid? Well, you know, I got specific teachings about becoming a mother that really has to begin right from the get-go. I had no idea what would happen. I just said, I'm going to listen. I'm going to do it. I'm going to experiment 
and I'm going to see what happens because I don't know. Even those teachings about becoming a mom, preparing your body, not eating junk food, quitting coffee and tea, preparing yourself mentally and emotionally and keeping safe space. And then, you know, when you do get to that point where you're going to you have your partner and you decide to produce life, you're in ceremony for nine months. And so I did that. They said no arguing, no fighting, no going to bingo, casino, don't hang out in a bar, don't hang around where people are fighting or there's negativity. And one of the biggest things that I was taught in that time was while we're carrying life, because we're creating life, we're molding that child. I was told, talk to your child, talk to your baby, talk to it. I sang, I did ceremony, I read books, I did it all. And when my first child came, holy geez, it sure did change me. It, it probably saved my life at the same time because I don't think I would be who I am today if I didn't listen to those aunties and I didn't do what they, you know, do exactly what they said. And then when I became a mom and I did all those teachings like the, the, with the placenta, with the moccasins and you know, the birch bark basket and the cradle board. And that's when I, I used my voice for the first time because they didn't give me my placenta. Man, I was mad. And I used my voice. I said, nope, you can't do that to me. If you do that, I'm going to, I'm calling the media. You know, so <laughs> it's like, that's when I realized, wow, I can be a mama bear. You know, I do have a voice. And so I feel like I became a more grounded, more mature, and things just seemed to be different after when I became a mother. And I was more responsible and I had more insight. And even that, what we call that sixth sense, that intuition, that spirit, it seemed stronger, you know, because you kind of have to be. It's like a little, a mama bird in the wild protecting her nest. Yeah, it sounds like motherhood was really a catalyst to you, like reclaiming your voice and like your power. And I, for motherhood to be viewed as a ceremony, like right from the get go for that nine months, that that intentionality behind it is so powerful. And like you're saying, I that transferred to your daughters and that transferred to now what they're doing here today. And so I'm curious what your relationship is like with your three daughters and what are the core values that you install within them? Well, we're we're pretty tight. I always say they always say, "Oh, you like you're like my best friend." I always say, "I'm not your friend. I am your mother." I always state the boundary because there's different roles when you're friends, and I am the only parent here, so I have to be the mom and I have to be the dad, the the one that enforces and the nurturer. And sometimes that can get pretty chaotic, especially with three girls. <laughs> <laughs> I know I have two brothers too. So like it is a little bit chaotic um, with us as well. Yeah. So like what are some of the values that you really want your daughters to have or that they already do have? Well, I raised them to be stewards of the land. I raised them to follow a traditional way of life. And because I know Without the culture and without our spirituality, I most definitely would not be here today. It was our culture that saved my life when I was younger and down in a boat in the wrong way. It was, you know, my dad sent me a smudge bowl and a, and a feather and, and a pack of sage. And I had put it away because I was not in a good way and I, I didn't want to touch it. But that time, that day that it, that I pulled it out and I really needed to, my whole, 
being changed. Like I thought, honestly, that day I woke up, I was going to die. And that's how scared I was. And I pulled out that bundle my dad sent me and I, I just started smudging. And then it was like, I felt it right in my toes and it went right up, right through me. And it almost scared me. And I almost thought, am I dead? It was almost like maybe that old part of me died. And this was me new again. And what am I going to do with this second chance? And that meant a lot to me because I talked to creator. I said, I promise I will be a good parent. I will be a good woman. I'll be a good Anishinaabe Kwe. I'm going to help the people. I'm going to help myself. This is serious, you know, because I felt that as a ceremony person, you know, to have that experience like that really, uh, it really woke me up. It kind of scared me. I I went and sought out the teachers, the ceremonies. I drove 20 hours. I did it all with my kids. I even breastfed while I was driving. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> like you do anything though, for I think for your kids as well. Like what I've learned from my mother is like her she loves unconditionally like she will love us even in our darkest and most depressing days and even when we don't feel like we have the ability to get up that day like she's still there and she loves us unconditionally and she also sacrificed a lot for us as kids and so I've learned a lot about sacrifice and unconditional love from my mother and it sounds like you really installed um, these land-based values and the importance of protecting the environment and the importance of protecting clean drinking water and why is land stewardship so important for you and your daughters well for me it's like it all stems from being scared what's good what kind of people are we going to be are we still going to be here because of all the colonialism all the the assimilation and it's like a lot of our thinking today is colonized i was thinking well what kind of Anishinaabek, are we going to be in 40 years? Are we even going to, we'll probably still be here, but will we be here in 100 years? So that was a big eye opener to me. And I said, I'm doing this. If nobody else, I know there's a lot of us now, but back then when I began my learning and my journey, I said, I got to do what I can to help preserve our culture and our language and to stand up for our people. Because what I always instilled in the girls is, if you're afraid to speak, just think of how other people feel. And once you use your voice and you see how easy it is, you'll encourage and inspire others to stand up and use your voice. And just think your grandma and your great grandma use their voice and their prayers are still with us because they prayed for you. Just like today, I pray for my grandchildren that are not here yet. So I said, use your voice because somebody out there doesn't have one. And how has that experience been? Because I know when you're speaking for the people and when you're speaking for the water, that can bring a lot of responsibilities and a lot of other tasks at hand. And so how do you remain true to yourself and your family when you are being called to do several different things? How do you know what to say yes to and what to say, you know, maybe now is not the time? Yeah, well, it can get pretty overwhelming. And to be honest, doing the water work and, and us stepping into this role and and then with autumn's work i'm not gonna lie it kind of tore us apart as a family because it became very stressful it became very demanding like you were saying and then the other part of that is from your own people you get the um or she's not doing this right or i could do this better or somebody else should do it or why is she doing it 
And so my auntie Josephine, I was there when she when she passed, bless her heart, and she whispered into my ear, people are going to try to stop you. People are not going to like what you're doing. You can't let people's uh, words and thoughts and their actions stop you because the water needs you. And when she said that, she says, don't stop praying for the water. Don't stop the work. And then she said, you're her mom. You need to be strong. You need to be so strong because she's going to need you. You have to be her backbone. And I didn't know at the time, but then I started seeing it. And so we we dealt with a lot of bullying. Like I took Autumn out of school. We relocated. So uh, there's a lot of pros and cons to this work. It's not, and a lot of times people think that we're rich and we're making money off this. We're not. Like I'm in debt. I have bills. I work. Like I have a full-time job. I actually have, I have three other contracts that I do just so I can keep us floating and take care of everybody it's like it does get very challenging and then now that she's older and you know she's in going to university we get the head buddy no I don't want to go do this and it's just like autumn and you know we're like a normal family and they're normal teens trust me they even there has been some fights (laughs) (laughs) they're sisters it's like and so there is a lot of challenges and even for me like you said, no one ever hears about you and no one ever knows what my struggles have been. There was like lots of times I cried because it's like no one thinks, okay, we want Autumn to come speak here, be there on this date. But no one stopped to think that how is she going to get there? And there's been times where I had no money and I'm just like, what am I going to do? And my mom being a seamstress and when I was a little girl, she says, if you can sew, you'll never be broke. So I would be sewing and busting out ribbon skirts to make gas money to get her to a talk. One time we got in a horrible accident on the way to her talk. We were going to um, Mount Pleasant, Michigan and on Highway 17 West before the Sioux, we hit a deer and a transport just passed and it was horrible. And I managed to stay on the road. We, we ended up in the city of Sault Ste. Marie. I got a rental. And we kept going. <laughs> Nothing stopped us. We made it Just to the water going. teaching. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Like, I think there's so much medicine. And when we allow ourselves to share, like, also the challenging things that are happening besides the scenes, because I think sometimes on social media, you do see just, like, good and nice picture-perfect things about someone's life, but you don't realize what's happening behind the scenes. And I think oftentimes there can be a lot of lateral violence and there can be a lot of, like, cancel culture online. And so what I'm hearing is, like, you really support one another through that process. Even when you are maybe fighting together, (laughs) you still support one another at the end of the day. And so how are things now, now that Autumn is now, like, growing up and now that you continue to advocate for the land and for the water do you see stuff actually changing within the system do you think that this advocacy is bringing healing towards the land and protection towards the land how do you feel about the current state of affairs right now I think change is happening and I always say that there's no magic wand no magic pill change is happening and it doesn't happen as fast as the seasons change I mind you when it comes to water like we're still advocating we're still struggling we're still fighting we're still using our voices and it's not happening fast enough and like autumn says i don't want to be auntie's age when i'm i'm still up here saying the same thing over and over again and nothing's being done 
So now that she is a woman now, wow, world, watch out. Because when she was born, that look she gave me when I first held her, she looked like she was mad. She had a piercing stare. And I almost was like, whoa. I looked at her and I said, who are you and what are you going to do? And I see that look, same look in her face now. She's heading to university and she's on a mission very determined and she's very mature now and now that she's a woman a lot of her advocacy is going towards missing and murdered indigenous women and because women are water carriers like it everything is all connected and tied in and she has a a vision of what she wants to do and how she's going to get there and and I see that with those aunties and those grandmas told me it's so true if you put that into practice and you work it, you do your work, you walk the talk and talk the walk, you do it and you just keep doing it, you're going to see the results. And just like her evolving, I feel like like the policies, the protocols, they can't happen fast enough, but I see them changing little by little. And there's more support out there in the communities now. And there are communities now starting to be able to drink their water and and now she's not on just the First Nations community platform. She's on a global international platform now. Like her voice has been heard. I never envisioned this at all. Like I was just this hardworking single mom, just surviving every day and living. And, and then next thing you know, we're at a talk at the United Nations and I'm sitting there going, oh, like when I had Autumn, she's the middle child. I already had my daughter, Naomi. She was seven. When she was born, my dad offered to raise Autumn. He came to Thunder Bay and he stayed with me for 10 days. And he says, I'll raise this one. She'll always know you're her mom, but I'll help you because I don't want you to struggle and have a hard time being a mom, a single mom. And I contemplated that. And on the day I seen him folding her little clothes and packing her bag, something in my heart just said, Dad, I respect that you you want to raise her and help me. But you know what? You have a role. And your role is to be her grandpa, her Michelmas. I am her mom. I am her parent. And I know that you're there if I need you. When he left, I was like, what did I do? I had the opportunity. And then I, I said, that's it. I can't mess this up now. And then I was thinking of my mom. I wasn't there when you asked me to make this baby. So I was just like, <laughs> I got to do this. And I got to make sure I'm strong enough and independent that I can make it and not be like, mom, I'm tired. Help. I just did it. Like I drove myself to the hospital in labor. Uh, the story is really crazy. If I tell you about how Autumn and Sierra came into the world, I was literally by myself. Like Indigenous women are so resilient. And when I'm feeling down in that, I think about the grandmothers. I think about those other women that I know have struggled and gone through stuff. And, you know, we're a very strong woman. I just love being an Indigenous woman. And I'm, I share it. I like, I wear ribbon skirts all the time. I'm like, hey, don't mess with me. I'm an Anishinaabe queen. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're going to mess with me, you'll have to deal with my three daughters. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
women in general are just powerful beings, but for indigenous women, especially like when we, when you are born into a society that is just about your suppression, like to be able to come out of that and still find clarity and still find the strength to keep going, especially when you have your little ones looking up to you. That is like what matriarchy is that. And that's what is like revolutionary in itself. And so now that you're at this point where um, Autumn is going to school and you're in this period of still advocating for the land and still advocating for the water, what are ways that people can support um, you and the work that you're doing alongside Autumn? What are ways people can support the future of water and the future of the future of us? <laughs> yeah. Well, a, a lot of times I, I know it's about connecting with leadership and the leadership connecting with grassroots people. And what I've been learning as a mother and, you know, I've been, you know, sharing teachings as a knowledge keeper is I wish that they could start these teachings in school, like in preschool and in junior school and in grade one. Like it should be part of the curriculum because once they start learning those things and what their roles and responsibilities are, it gives them a grounding it gives them a grounding and it gives them a, that footing on that path. Those rites of passage ceremonies, they teach you about making choices. They teach you about accountability. They teach you how to respect yourself and how to respect others. And that's been lost. You don't hear a lot of traditional parenting teachings out there, or you don't hear a lot of places offering these things. And, and I'm in my mind going, start teaching them young. Like that, if, if that's all they know, that's, you know, they're going to follow that path. And if that's what your family is doing, they're going to, it's going to be part of their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is like returning back to like the rites of passage and our traditional ceremonies to find a framework so that you can nourish and grow and expand into like who you're meant to be eventually. And also making ceremonies and teachings available because, you know, people in the urban centers, they don't have access to that. And if they don't have the money to get in a car and drive to ceremonies or buy a tent or, you know, pay for a hotel, like they're not going to go. But if we had centers, traditional healing lodges, teaching lodges that were specific, or we incorporated them into a curriculum, like that's one, one place we could utilize is because kids are at school. Another thing kids do is they're on social media. What could we do to catch their attention? to start sharing these things. And I think this podcast is, it's, it's an amazing thing because they can access that through social media, TikTok, creating awareness, like, um, you know, learning what, what, what does water really mean and what really is it? And what a, a teaching that my dad shared about the water is people hear the word nibe, they associate it with water, but it's not really literally translated. And what he said was the ni part, it's like the state of being or or the, the direction. So like if you say nishke, you're asking someone to look that way. So ni and the be in the be is this, it, it's where you're at. And when you add the I, it makes everything alive and animate. So that's why water is alive. It has a spirit and it's a reflection of you. Because we're 70% made of water. So what you do to the water, you're doing to yourself. What you do to yourself, you're doing to the water. 
So when you understand that concept and what we can do, it's like we need to share these teachings so people have a framework on and an understanding of what we're trying to do because, you know, pretty soon we're not going to have that much. Like our Great Lakes are already being contaminated. Where are we going to get our fresh water after that? You know, this is a pretty serious thing. Yeah. And I think like you brought up some important points there. Like I find one of the frameworks is not just, well, it's ceremony, but it's also reconnecting to our languages as Indigenous people. Like that whole, thank you for sharing that whole teaching because that just like influences a further relationship that you have to the water that you're drinking into the into your worldview itself. And so I'm curious, is there any tangible ways that people listening can get involved in protecting the water? I know you shared the definition of water and our relationship to it. Is there like any causes or ways to support or donate any ways to get involved with protecting the future of our water well i know that um, autumn is linked with dreamcatcher foundation and they support her efforts with the water and they're always doing things like the water filtrations and visiting the community so if people want to contribute they can get involved with the dreamcatcher foundation and seeing red they have different initiatives so if people want to donate you know monetary donation they could do that they can call them up and say what's going on because they have a number of activists that they they follow and help and support. And there's always something going on. It's like, you know, Facebook has different groups like Gawain Plastic, No More Plastic. And they're always updating things on recyclable things and, you know, protecting the land. And then there's different groups on water, the Mother Earth Water Walk and all those things. And even hosting a water walk or attending a water walk when they start in uh end of April, that's when they start beginning to do those water walks and, you know, joining a water, water walk or creating one for yourself and always spreading awareness and education. Well, thank you so much for spreading your education, your story, your awareness. Um, One last question, because we're talking about our future and what we want to see. When you think of Indigenous futurism, like what do you want to see created in the next year? Um, what What does Indigenous futurism look like to you? I would like to see more movement in our advocacy and the policies and actually like get it done. It should be at the utmost highest level of this is a crisis. We need to do this because, you know, when we had the pandemic, those communities didn't have water. You need water to sanitize and cleanse everything. Well, you know, that was a big eye opener. And so I thought when we had that pandemic that they would do something about the water, but they didn't. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie, for sharing a bit of your story and your journey and all the brilliant things that you're up to and ways to support. I look forward to continuing to follow you and Autumn and your two other daughters. Is there any way that people can support Autumn and you yourself? Well, I know Autumn has her Instagram and like her Autumn Pelche page. She has a Facebook page and I don't really have a page. I'm just mom. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes people will see me at an event. Oh, who's this? I'm just mom. I would connect with um, Jeff Burnett, her manager. And he's at the, with the Dreamcatcher Foundation. And he's always there supporting us and helping us. And he has a lot of great ideas. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, hi for listening to the show. If you like the podcast, check your podcast app now to make sure you're subscribed. 
I'm Shayla Olette Stonechild. You can find me along with more info on Matriarch Movement on Instagram at Shayla0H. And my podcast producer is Katie Lore, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye.